Hello there, welcome to episode number 56 of True Cult Pop, a music podcast which some people are calling one of the top things in the world. I don't know, I couldn't really tell you if that's accurate or not, but I feel it, I feel that it's accurate. It's me, Stephen Hill, it's him, Gaz Jones. Do you think that's a fair thing to say, Gaz? Do you think that that's how think, people feel about this podcast? Well, f- f- firstly, good evening, mate. Um, secondly, who's been saying that then? Has my mum been on the sherries and gone on Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> I thought what I'd try and do is just really, really big us up immediately. Fair. And people who are new to the show, hello if you are new yeah. to the show, you've been tempted in by what I plan to create a very, very sexy title for this it'll make people go oh that's intriguing maybe i'll come along unless they're fans of robbie williams in which case probably don't bother eh? that's hardly cult pop is it no not really not really we did have a robbie williams fan just send me about a thousand tweets about why we were terrible me and sam when i put up the free free podcast we did about take that's progress an album which we both liked it's a good album Great Good album. album. We were nice Great about album. it. And yeah. they still went, you're the worst. This is the most horrible podcast ever. Just because I thought, you know, it might be slightly cynical of Rob Williams to have joined Take That in the I aftermath think. of his solo career going downward and Take That's career going upward. And then he decided he was ready to come back. What a, what a coincidence. And apparently that is phenomenally mean. So it's anyway... Like- you know, it's not calculated at all, is it? No, that person's not listening. Thank God, and made I, that very, very clear. I, I do, I do know uh, one particular person who will be listening, uh, and he is a massive Robbie Williams fan. Oh yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a say it's a different person. I reckon. I, actually, I'm pretty ninety nine point nine. One of my oldest, one of my oldest buddies. Well, it's um, definitely so, not yeah. that person. It's definitely not that person. I think that because this young lady said to me i won't be listening to any more of your podcast and that's what you should do if you don't like a podcast you just shouldn't listen to it anymore oh, yeah. it's one person in particular again i don't want to start this week by just hammering people that i've had less than savory interactions on twitter with but out of the t- if you don't like this probably don't listen to it i reckon that's more Fair. healthy for your life isn't it makes I'd you a my, bit of yeah. a yeah well i broke my i loser, broke my beef um virginity last weekend did you yeah oh yeah well you were privy to it with uh, about blondie yeah 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 he sounds great can't wait to meet him anyway hello everyone hello everyone else (laughs) sorry to just air our dirty laundry actually on the show just don't tend to do unless uh you go to quicksand and you look down both both physically and oh, mentally on brilliant. somebody who used to do a podcast with him. You go, fucking said you weren't going no, to say anything about it. Since we started less like than five this. minutes in and it's just like, I've got to say it. But oh. Since we started in this manner, I thought it would be an enjoyable little peek behind the curtain view. I detected yeah. I was going, oh, go downstairs and I'm getting a fight. But I didn't. I yeah. didn't do that. I'll talk about Quicksand a little bit. It'd be one of the many things we talk about on the show this week. I went to see Madonna. I went to see Quicksand. And a few months ago, we did say we were going to do a new sort of series of podcasts where we took something that happened in music history. We take things that were odd or unusual or interesting or significant stories from the history of music and call it 
I know Sam, and I know Gaz, you picked something you want to call. What are all that about? Yeah. So I'm happy to go with it. I'm happy on that. At this point, I'm happy to go with it. So this week, we're going to do one of those. We are going to be looking at an event which now seems kind of quaint and charming, I think, since it's... <laughs> 27 years this coming Sunday, if you're listening to this podcast on the week that it was released. 27 years since Slash was kicked out of Guns N' Roses acrimoniously. It was a massive story at the time. We go back and dig through the dirt. Since everybody's all friends now, we can all look back on that and go, what are all that about? Isn't it? What are all that about? <laughs> yeah. We look at how it all went down. So, uh, also... You should say True Crap Pop came out this week. Our search for the worst album ever made. Myself and Mr. Sam Slight looking at all the worst albums ever made. Not necessarily this week, though, as we were talking about My Beauty by Kevin Rowland. That episode is up on the feed just prior to this episode. If you want to go and listen to that, if you haven't listened to it, it's one of my favourite ones of that particular podcast that we've done so far, both in terms of the album and the actual podcast itself. Have you listened to that yet, Gaz? That, that sent, album? Yeah, yeah, I certainly have. Uh, I sent Sam <laughs> a, an angry message about quarter six in the morning whilst driving to work. How dare right. you slag off three colours red? How dare you? He's just hes just not going to have it, is he? He's not going to no. have it. He's not having it. These fucking kids. <laughs> anyway, also, if you'd like to sort us out with a little bit of cash... A little bit of bunts, mate. Come on, bunts and burner. Nice little burner. Go to Patreon. Yeah, he gets it. Patreon.com forward slash true cult pop. We've got a couple of pretty big, pretty good podcasts coming over there this coming weekend on Saturday, the day after this podcast goes out. Gaz and I will be going in on No Line on the Horizon by Mm. U2. I didn't suggest this. One of our patrons suggested it. It was their suggestion from a long time ago. And we finally got round to doing it. But no line on the horizon. Yes, I will be talking about you two again. Hooray. But for the first time with me. So the first time with you, yes. So it will be different yeah. slightly. Not for me, obviously. But, the same. but basically the same. Yeah. yeah. So if you're interested in that, do sign up. If you want to sign up for our five pound tier, a beginner's guide comes this week on the golden age of hip-hop a beginner's guide to the golden age of hip-hop gaz and i and i think we might have a guest possibly fingers crossed actually properly sorted that out yet any kind of thing but i've made tentative you know steps towards that happening so i'm looking forward to talking about mc solar and well maybe spoiler a little spoiler yeah still find him you can still find him, yeah. And multiple other, probably Dr. Dre and Wu-Tang Clan as well. Yeah. No spoilers. Do you, do you, want, do you want to see my list beforehand, or should we keep this an absolute surprise? Uh, or? I want to see it. Okay, well, I'll message it over to you. Um, I could produce guarantee that, yeah, it's going to be very different to yours. Is it? I, I seriously cannot wait for this chat. I'm Fingers crossed, we get the third wheel on yeah. the... Uh, on Dr. Dre's tricycle. <laughs> no. yeah. I don't think they called them tricycles. Could you imagine? Yeah. <laughs> but fucking but like the shittest saw you've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Before we get into the show and whatnot, always every week we pick a little earworm of the week. And, you know, I love doing this podcast with you, Gaz. And do you, do you yeah. want to know why? Say it with me because you're mine. You're my, my favourite waste, waste of time. time. 
tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> you have picked uh, a banger. A song with so much to talk about. So oh, much to talk about. Oh my goodness me. I, I've been on like a massive 80s tip. I think it's because the weather started getting shit. Mm. And obviously, you know, medium um, length listeners to this pod and the podcast I used to do over the over the um, will know that I'm a van driver and I oh, fucking hate this time of year. It's dog shit. Everything just all of a sudden just gets muddy and shit. You start getting the low sun. It's rubbish. So mm. I was desperate for a bit of sunshine. So I was just listening to tons of fucking 80s music. Started to make an 80s playlist. And this song just popped into my head. And I must have listened to it about 15 fucking times on the bounce. Go on. Yeah, what, what, it, tell the people, even though we've sung oh, it. Oh, what? They, they didn't get it from our glorious harmonies. I think they won't. Got to let them know which version we're talking about, right? Uh, Well, I'm talking about the Owen Paul version. The only version. Basically, well, the OG. It's and... not, though, is it? It's not the OG. Isn't it? No, oh, did you? Okay. Said, sorry. Uh, yeah. Uh, wow. No, uh, mate. This. So this is Owen Paul. But looks, I never fucking knew. I never knew this. Right. So this is a cover of a song by an artist called Martin Crenshaw from 1979. Right. I know. Okay. No, didn't, okay. Didn't, I, I didn't know that was actually covered prior to this in 1982 by Bette Midler. No. Yeah. What wind beneath my wings? Uh, the very remember. same, yes, correct. Blimey! I so Bette Midler. I'd love. To, I'd, I'd, I need to hear her version. Is it as awesome and up tempo and? Yeah. No, no, it's nowhere no. near as good. Nowhere no. near as good. Neither versions are. This is, this is the version Did that you're oh, talking yeah. about. The Owen Paul version yeah. is definitely the version that you want. Absolutely, unquestionably. So oh, Owen gotcha. Paul. It's a Scottish solo artist. I don't know who Martin Crenshaw is, to be perfectly honest. But Bette Doesn't Midler, you would, you would think Bette Midler's version would be the yeah. the up there version. This is a bit like when Paul Young covered Hall and Oates, you know? And every yes. time you go away, and yeah, yeah, you go, yeah. well, that's, that's, I mean, maybe not in America, but over here. Mm. Over here, it's huge. That's the version. Mm. Uh, got to number three in the UK, the Owen Paul yep. version. Yeah. And he is a legit one-hit wonder. Yeah, one of the next, very best. One of the yeah. very best. His next song was actually, it's called Pleased to Meet You, which is his second best charting position, number 78 in the UK. Mad. So, Owen Paul has not done that well, but we'll talk about how that's apt, I think. Not apt, but interesting when when you talk to me. When we, when we actually talk about the song first, because there's quite a lot to talk about within the song, because it is a tune, a big tune. Oh, it's massive, isn't it? I mean, when, when I was, I mean, this come out, yeah, 88, 86. I was living in um, in Yugoslavia at the time. I was when my dad was stationed in the Royal Air Force. And there was like one radio station. Um, and you'd maybe, if you were lucky, you'd hear one kind of song a day sung in, in the English language. This was the song that summer. It was just, it was everywhere. It might have even, for all I know, it could have even been a number one in the Yugoslav top 40. I don't know if that's on the wiki entry. But Um, it was was massive. It was huge. And it just reminds me of those kind of long, hot summers. But um, my greatest kind of anecdote, anecdote in regards to this, this song, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about the Osbournes and stuff in a minute, Mm -hmm. obviously, right? But my, 
probably my the greatest anecdote I've ever had and the greatest thing I've ever had a reply to on Twitter. Years ago, I, must, I don't know, about 2012 or something, I was at, I was at this, this place in um, uh, a town near where I used to live called St. Ives, and there's, there's a big, like, um, I, don't, I don't know what you call it, like um, like sort of hotel, like one well, of those like, posh hotels where they have functions of weddings and all that kind of stuff. Um, and we were outside just having a beer, it was like s- s- summer, and there was obviously a wedding going on, and all of a sudden someone started singing, this they're like the band yeah there was, there was a band playing and all of a sudden it was just you're my you're my favourite and I was just like oh this fucking tune man this is amazing and I was like that's really, you know, that's a really good version actually and I, I went on Twitter and I was like I'm just sat at the whatever it was sleep hall or whatever in, uh, in St. Ives and uh, someone's doing a cracking cover of the at Owen Paul song my favourite waste of time about an hour later I get a reply from the Owen Paul going Yes, that was me singing it. Wow. It was, that was actually him singing it on stage. Well, guess it's not the first time. Well, actually, it was the first time, but it wasn't the only time that you've interacted with Owen Paul on Twitter. Because you and I, a couple of years ago, have interacted with Owen Paul on Twitter. And it was all his own doing. Do you remember this? No. Oh, mate, I can't I believe... I thought this. that was what you were going to bring up. Because no. we were... T- we were t- you know, it was before you were doing the show, but we'd obviously met, and I think I'd been on track one side one, mm. and I said something of... Somebody said something about an a, like 80s pop star, and I went, they're no somebody else, like probably went, you know, they're no Huey Lewis, and then you went... You replied to that to me, and went, they're no... I, I don't know, Q and Cry... <laughs> And then I think I went, then no Owen Paul. And then Owen Paul replied, and I'm no Paul Young. <laughs> and we both went, what? When did this, how did that happen? Oh my God. Why do I remember? I'm going to have to go back through all my fucking tweets now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and we, and I think we, we both went, oh, oh, we love your song, Owen Paul. We love yeah, your yeah. song. So there's, there's loads to talk about. There's absolutely loads to talk about this. I mean, obviously, one of, one of the most famous live tv fuck-ups ever yes pebble mill at one wasn't it pebble mill at one yeah where they went outside and <laughs> the song starts playing <laughs> yeah. and fair play to owen paul right because yeah. owen paul is not having it i love this because because basically they start playing the music and obviously they're miming because they're <laughs> they're playing i mean what they're, they're playing like just on a, an old concrete staircase right yeah it's horrible Classic 80s BBC, britain that is isn't it? horrible 80s britain yeah. pebble mill one and owen paul is like leant up against this stair this kind of stairwell and the music plays obviously the band can't hear it so everybody sort of stops and the camera pulls right up to him <laughs> and he doesn't do anything he's just standing he's like no 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 no, I, this is not my fault fuck you like this is absolutely not my fault you know you see him sometimes where you know all about Eve or Ashley Simpson, where they go, oh God, oh no, I've been caught out miming. Hmm. Owen Paul, no fucks given. Couldn't give a shit. Like, just stands there, looks into the camera and just is like, well, I'm not even going to acknowledge you being here at all. If you're not going to let, if I can't hear my song, fuck you. It is very, very good. Very, very funny, that that clip. And it is one of the kind of great bloopers from British TV in the eighties. Probably yeah. you expect Dennis Norden to like come around straight oh, up. Uh, straight up uh, just with his clipboard. Also, do you know who played bass on this song, the Owen Paul version? 
Oh, I'm going to have a, I'm going to hazard a guess at Nick, Nick Beggs from Kajagoogoo and Stephen Wilson's solo band. No. It's oh, a okay. Bloody, it's a good guess. Yeah. I mean, I said it's a good guess. It's wrong, so it's not that good. It's, but it, It's good, but, but it's it, not right. It's good, but it's not right. Um, <laughs> it's Mark Luckhurst, f- future member of Thunder, future bass of Thunder. <gasps> As soon as she said the name, I was like, that's the dude from Thunder. Of course I'm going to fucking know that. I don't want your dirty love. <laughs> yeah, he was. He played bass on this. Incredible. And of course, guy, it? the final thing we should mention, you've already alluded yeah. to it, is yeah. that iconic, famous clip in the Osbournes where they throw, they get annoyed at their neighbour. First episode, I think it was. Is it one it of the first? I can't remember. Uh, uh, but yeah. yeah, they get annoyed at their neighbour and... Jack Osborne starts playing Meshuggah really loud, doesn't he? And Ozzy, like, throws... Yeah. What's he done? Like, a bit of meat. A bit of meat. <laughs> rack a bit ribs. of meat. A rack of ribs through his window. <laughs> like, and Sharon Osborne's just shouting shit over him. The neighbour yeah. that they're shouting at is Owen Paul. It's mad, yeah, isn't I it? Know. How the fuck did he end up living in a house like well, this? You know, well, this is... Well, I'm just look, I'm looking at his chart entries here, right? Owen Paul, right? And it wouldn't have even made any money from My Favourite Waste of Time because it's a fucking cover. It's a cover, so. right? It's mad, isn't it, right? But he mm. got to number 20 in, Austra- in Austria with this, number 8 in Belgium, number 21 in Germany, number 4 in Ireland, number 8 in Netherlands, number 3 in the United Kingdom. And then he, he doesn't, it doesn't appear that... You know, he released an album called As It Is, is the debut album, which is th- this is from. This only went silver, this single... Mm. He doesn't release another album till 2002. Mm. He then does an album with Mike and the Mechanics on backing vocals, not even vocals. Oh, yeah, but to be fair, you know who would have been singing in Mike and the Mechanics at that point? With, um, oh, my God. I do, but go on. You it's, do, because you, you murdered his song a couple of weeks ago, Andrew Roachford. Andrew Roachford was singing right. Mike and the Mechanics at the time. Okay, yeah. yeah. All right, well. Anyway... Yeah, it is mad, isn't it? Like, how's mm. Owen Paul off the back of w- one eighties hit in the United Kingdom? Yeah. That's how big mad. pop is. That's how big pop. That's how much pop. Like, you, you, yeah. you've got Ozzy Os- You've got the Osbournes living next door to you, right? That's yeah. Ozzy Osbourne, the man who invented metal, fronted the first ever metal band, had yeah. one of the most successful solo careers of the eighties in heavy music. His wife is managing the Smashing Pumpkins and Cold Chamber and a lot and Fear Factory and a load of other very very popular bands at that point mm. he's a legit icon yeah. he's living in his massive house yeah. and living next door to him is a bloke who had one hit <laughs> in Britain and oh, got into the top 10 in Belgium 20 uh, years 25 years ago yeah it's absolutely mad that's it's how mental. much money you get as a pop star it's crazy absolutely crazy I don't but, know it's an all-time classic, you know. I think that you know, um, get my dictaphone idea for future podcasts. Um, do a do a top five. Um, I know you did a nineties one. It wonders with um, the other guy who's hungry all the time um, mm. uh, on uh, Pop Grabber. Listen, yeah, I th- I, yeah. I, th- I think we should do. I think we should do an eighties one. Oh, I love over, to do over an here. one. Love would be good, yeah. yeah. Owen Paul, yeah. my favourite waste of time. Yeah. What, a, what a life he's led. What an absolutely <laughs> yeah. incredible life. I want life to he's know. Led. Fuck it, I'm going to ask him on Twitter because he replies within oh. two seconds. So. You don't even have to at him. <laughs> you don't even have to at him. <laughs> no. 
You don't even have to. But you could, you could put Paul Owen. I reckon you go. Do you mean Owen Paul? You mean yeah. me? Yeah. Are you confusing me with uh, Paul Owen? <laughs> so good. I wonder if he's. Is he? I wonder if he's. We find out if he's related to Jake or Logan Paul. Do you reckon he's the, uh, one of the one of the Pauls? One of the Logan Paul. What was in the guy beyond fucking the drink? Yeah, yeah. The the YouTuber Prime. turned boxer. Yeah, or wrestler. Is he one of them? Is a wrestler and one of them doing boxing? I thought, I thought, is, it, is it MMA? I don't know. I'm not the expert on MMA, so but I know <laughs> no. someone who is. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> good. Yeah, I don't know if he's related to them. I hope he is. I hope he is. I'll be amazing. What a, what a family that would be. Oh, just yeah. Just, just sitting around just getting wrecked on Prime and just having massive scraps angry your, fights your until thoughts. the sugar wears off yeah. oh good anyway we, we must stop talking about Owen Paul at this point yeah. unfortunately we probably as much longer than I thought it was going to be let's quickly scoot through There's my pick there's a surprise let's quickly scoot through my pick Isms by Dog Eat Dog I've gone for the first single from Dog Eat Dog's second album Play Games from 1996 the first single since the hugely successful No Fronts Jam remix. Master J remix mm. was a top 10 hit in the UK in 1995 there was a yep. fair bit of hype surrounding Doggy Dog when Huge. Play Games came out MTV yeah. best newcomers Fred Cover yeah. Kerrang twice Fred I think Kerrang. in 96 on the lead up to um, this album coming out yeah a lot of hype man a lot of fucking hype supported by Sugar Ray I mean cool I don't get, better. I don't get much better than that does it what era Sugar Ray was that was that Lemonade and Brown is it it right? was yeah or Oh, yeah, that's what me machine, me machine. Yeah, I mean, you know, fair play to Dog Eat Dog. Oh. They managed to squeeze basically an entire career out of a remix of one of the. A bit, I knew said like television then, but I'd say even television were comfortably bigger than Dog Eat Dog. Oh, yeah. Comfortably bigger. I mean, certainly over here they were. Certainly well, Terevich, Terevich's career was fucking all but over before the Mint Royale remix of Tequila came out. That's yeah, true. Please tell me, Sh- Shaven Peaches has got to be in the broken records. I don't it. think it actually is, but it's a pretty oh. good shout for it, to be honest. But, anyway, Doggy Dog were, it looked like, going to be quite a big deal. And I remember I was dead I was dead chuffed because I obviously I had all Borough Kings and I thought it was really good. I didn't think they were Same. one hit wonder. I was I was bang up for it. I was pretty gutted when they played, they pulled out of my first Reading, Reading 96. And when Play Games came out, I remember hearing Isms on the chart show, on the rock chart. And I was like, oh, it's happening. It's going to yeah. happen. This is a banger. This is an absolute yeah. banger. And then it only made number 43 in the singles chart and basically... Never heard from them again in terms of them being a kind of commercial entity. No. I love Dog Eat Dog, and I've sort of put this in because sadly, next week, right, we're going to do all our big review roundup next week. And Dog Eat Dog have an album called Free Radicals, which has just came out. And we, we talked, sort of guffawed to ourselves, that maybe we should cover, maybe we should cover that, that record on yeah. the review roundup. It's been a good month for music, to be fair. And yeah, sadly for Doggy Dog, their new album has no place in no. <laughs> in, in a month that good no. music because it's not really very good. Okay, it's just it's just you know fair play yeah. to them for trying to put new music out and stuff. It's not great. It's not great. No. 
so I wanted to give them their props and mention that they had a new album out. And I do think those first three Dog Eat Dog albums, I'm going to say three. I actually think Amped is their best album. But this is a great tune. This is a, We'll talk about that another time, I'm sure. But this is a great I'm tune, sure. Isms. It's got all the parping horns. Got a, it's got, got a good attitude. It's got all the stuff, man. I, I, I'm, I really do like this. It's great. Like classic New York rap rock, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it's it's fun wonderful. It, yeah, oh god, yeah, fun calls. That was it. <laughs> oh, population one. Yeah, yeah. Um, Spooky call, what, what, what fun call. Yeah. I mean, God, I've got to say now, fun call sounds like the sort of thing Elstorm might call themselves. Yeah, it's not a great name, but Doggy Dog were fucking great, man. They they were fucking wonderful, and I I, I remember hearing a lot of Brother Kings in I came out in 94 I remember someone at school having it and I remember hearing it uh, and then it kind of sort of there was a bit of hype about it I remember reading about it in Kerrang and stuff and they were always over in this country gigging and stuff and then all of a sudden like <laughs> fast forward to like January 95 or February 95 like watching Top of the Pops and I distinctly remember it. It was uh, it was uh, Ronan and Stephen from Boyzone presenting it, and it was like an exclusive, and it was fucking doggy dog live in the studio, and I was just watching, it going, "What that bands?" And it was you know that the awesome, insanely yeah. brilliant remix of No Fronts Jam Master J box A box B or box C Steve Quick box C mate got it on twelve inch vinyl. Have yeah, yeah, nice with the, the little toy teeth absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah love nice. it and there was so much hype about this this um the second album and it should have been big but it just seemed like you know people had already kind of moved on i guess in, in that gap between the jamas j rumors and no fronts and and isms coming out corn had got massive in this country donington you know the the, the legendary yeah. kind of donington 96 had happened mm. And all of a sudden, it was just like fuck. metal got metal got dead dark, didn't it? Not even metal, yeah, but like, it, it, rock yeah. Marilyn, Marilyn Manson, dark, yeah. obviously, it, you know, it just seemed like overnight. Yeah, fun cause, like no, we mm. don't want no fun, mm. no tricks, no fun, no tricks, no soapbox politics, <laughs> no doggy yeah. dog digi packs. Yeah, boo, boo. Yeah, it's a great yeah. album, great song. They were a good band. I still, I would say again, I, I amps my favourite man. Yeah, we were chatting about this last week, man. Mm. Basically, us passing spitting rhymes. We were, yeah. We did the whole of one of the songs. Uh, yeah, uh, it, yeah the it's not even on verse. Spotify, that album. No, I still know bullshit. all the words, yeah. Yeah, same. Um, but yeah, I mean, next year is going to be the 30th anniversary of All Borough Kings. Um, they did do it. the 25th anniversary of it about four years ago. So I don't know if they'll do it again. They no, might I think as well. they will. I they think they will. Well. Yeah. They might as well because that yeah. It'll be it'll be bigger venues than what than whatever they're playing, God bless them. Although to bet you know, if they are touring well they will be touring this. I'd be interested to see what venues they play, probably like the underworld or something. I may go because it'll probably be a fuck ton of fun because they'll do two songs off the new album that you don't care about and it'll just be all the bangers. Yeah mate, I saw them at the underworld about two thousand and seventeen, I wanna say and it was a Sunday night and it was empty and it was great yeah perfect like, you know it was really really good perfect. they played a load of songs you know they, I think they played t I think it's before they had because this is not the first lot of new material they've had out had an EP out a year or so ago and then they played the, the new Cross Arms in London which holds hardly anyone and they played that and I didn't go to that 
But um, yeah, I'd always go and see Dog Eat Dog within reason, obviously. But yeah, man, I, I, I got a lot of time for Dog Eat Dog. I know they were sort of considered a bit embarrassing because they were on Roadrunner and they weren't heavy enough for the kind Especially of the classic, time. you know, you've got Especially that, that classic Roadrunner roster of Life of Agony, Biohazard, Fear Factory, Type of Negative, Sepultura. Bennett. Could... <laughs> Bennett, stop, stop bringing up Bennett. Um, Sorry. Yeah, no, no. Well, it's just, it, that, that's Roadrunner. Roadrunner going, don't bring up Bennett, Doggy Dog or Junkie XL. They're just reunion to... gigs this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. What? They're doing a one-off reunion show this Saturday. It's fucking sold out. Yeah. Jesus. Jesus. Mad. Anyway, look, uh, I'd like to talk about Doggy Dog some more. I'm sure you will. Maybe suggest it on our Patreon page if you're listening. Yeah. If you, if you want to hear that. Because mm. I want you to say it and then I'll do it, basically. Right. Two gigs. Big gigs. Good gigs. Three gigs. gigs. Three I've gigs. Well. Oh, you went I've to see Discharge, well. didn't you? I did. Do you want to put Discharge in the sandwich between Madonna and Quicksand? This is how eclectic oh. our podcast is. It's good day. Now we're, now we're cooking on gas. Let's start, let's start with the karaoke at the O2, yeah? Oh, uh, right. Okay. Well, I can, <laughs> your, your jealousy is showing, guys. Yeah. I'm, I'm hiding it well. Yeah. 100 miles away. I'm going to read you the set list for Madonna's celebration tour, which I went to a couple of weeks ago. It is quite long, and I will clarify a few things as we go through. Please so, do. started with its celebration, which is someone called Bob the Drag Queen. I don't know who that is, got to be honest. No. Somebody who's on. RuPaul's Dragway, RuPaul's Drag Race, and I don't watch that, so I don't know who it was, but people were like very excited that this person was there to do the okay. kind of intro. Did this intro, which basically sort of took you from where we are now and was like, we're going back in time. It shows you sort of, it, it was really cool, almost like a kind of Back to the Future-esque thing, which took you back to like, we're going back to New York, CBGBs, and we're going to go all the way back up to where we are now. So that, that's cool. As an idea, it's very, very cool, right? Mm. So, we started with that. Nothing really matters. Everybody containing elements of where's the party. Nice. nice. Into the groove. Burning up. Burning up with mm. her on her own on stage saying, I played this at CBGB's. Loads of shots of CBGB's and stuff. Iggy Pop and her and playing it on a guitar on her own. So, you know, definitely not karaoke. Just want to point that out. <laughs> Open your heart with a little bit of live to tell. Holiday. Oh. With a little bit of I Want Your Love by Chic. Nice. Oh, okay. And that was Act 1, right? So that's the sort of 80s stuff. Now, what mm. I would say about that is that is possibly the consistent high point of the entire show. Well, so she was only playing 80s. She, she didn't play any other 80s stuff after Act 1. Is that what you're saying? She did. Oh, okay. Right. But we'll get into it, right? Okay. So... I think just before holiday, they did this sort of... There was a lot of, like, almost treating it like a bit of a theatre thing. There was a bit where she was going... Just before she was... They were like, oh, I used to go to this club in New York, and this is where we used to... This is the coolest place to hang out. And then there was a whole bit where this guy was on the door going, sorry, you can't come in. You can't come in. She's like, oh, my God, what's your name? My name's Madonna. You're not on the list. Oh, come on. And it, and it, it went on for too long. Basically, it went on for too long. Well, this was actually happening on stage. Yes. Oh, oh dear. I don't know about that. Yeah. Mm. And I was a bit like, I get it, it's cool. And she needs, like, mate, my mate who's going to see it in a few weeks, right? He said to me, like, his mum's just had, like, uh, got a serious operation and she's got a bad hip and stuff. And he was like, you know, Madonna is two years younger than my mum. 
and I was like, I mean, obviously you can't see his, but imagine a 43-year-old man's mum, basically. Mm. And I was like, bloody hell, that's mad. Because she was dancing and singing. A lot of, the majority of it was done live. I'm sure she had, she had a little bit of help, but the majority of it was done live. The stage yeah. was massive, five different stages. I mean, it was pretty spectacular. And, you know, so I was like, okay, these gaps that we're getting are her, she goes backstage and she sits down and they massage her feet and give her a costume change and give her a oxygen mask for, for 10 minutes. That's basically what a lot of this is, right? But I was like, it's going on a bit, this little skit bit, it's going on a bit. And then we got act two. So she did holiday, she went into the club and did holiday. It was brilliant. Mm. Act two, there was a big build up of act two got Live to Tell which I thought was incredible actually oh, Live yeah, to Tell a, dedicated to all AIDS victims it says here on the which is quite a clunky way of putting it but <laughs> there were yeah. lots of there were just pictures of people who had over the years like Freddie Mercury was up there um, a big picture of Freddie Mercury for a long time towards the end of the song but it was lots of pictures of these people who I'm sure not people she knew personally but people that had passed away during the AIDS crisis of the 80s and stuff and yeah. it was really really good then there's a bit called The Ritual, which I don't necessarily remember. Oh, yes, yeah. So it was Live to Tell, and then The Ritual was, again, a really, really long, drawn-out bit of her being covered in a veil, and they put the crucifix on her, and they had the like, incense, and they all kind of walked around and right. went into, like, a prayer, right? Which didn't start like like a prayer it started with that you know unholy it was unho it was unholy by sam smith and kim petra so that that and then it went when you come on in and it was sort of like a danced up version of it you didn't get the full sort of six minute like a prayer it was almost like a sort of medleyed version of it comes quite early in the set you don't do a fucking medley of your best song that's uh... I would say a sort of redacted version of it rather than medley actually I think there mm. was medley bits later on right. and then we went into so there was that and I was like well that was cool it was cool but I'm never going to see like a prayer ever again and I've seen a sort of different different version of it same with Into the Groove right mm. Into the Groove was sort of modernized into this sort of uh, Swedish house mafia style electro house banger as opposed to the original sound of it, yeah. which is fine. Yeah. But you do sort of go, well, I'm never, probably never going to see this again. And I do, I do quite want to see it. And then you get Act Three, Act of Living Love, which had a load of men sort of boxing and in, in their boxing gear and they were pretending to be just dancing to a sort of spoken word bit and the beginnings of what became erotica so this is for you mate erotica justify oh. my love oh, fever yeah. hung up oh. bad girl oh you like that don't we're you? in we're in lads yeah yeah Fuck i was like me. this is the gaz jones section <laughs> it's all right <laughs> we're finally here <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Wow. Erotica. Oh, fuck. Erotica featured a bed coming up towards the end and her dressed as she dressed on the Like a Virgin tour. And oh, okay. they had the first the kind of the orchestral stanza of Papa Don't Preach 
and she danced to oh, that wow. and then it stopped and that's all we got off Papa Don't Preach <gasps> now now <laughs> now it's like fucking sounding like Uncle Albert <laughs> I appreciate that Madonna as we discussed when we did our patreon.com forward slash true cult pop beginner's guide to Madonna and I think we said mm. we have had to pick underrated madonna songs that you've sort of quote-unquote forgotten about even though these songs probably were top five top ten hits all over the world but that is because that immaculate collection hung up rare light whatever you want to chuck in there those those are the songs that are her big songs right and you can often sometimes maybe forget about some of the other ones if you go and see somebody doing a greatest hiss greatest hits career best set i mean i'll just chuck out a few of the songs she, she didn't do material girl she didn't do like a virgin she didn't do borderline she didn't do lucky star she didn't do papa don't preach as discussed she didn't do frozen uh wow yeah. frozen's like one of her biggest hits in this country <laughs> yeah and that's without even getting to you know dear jesse oh father cherish yeah oh cherish man that's but you know, yeah. she's got a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of songs, right? To me though, yeah. when you're doing Fever, I don't need Fever. I don't need Fever. If you're not doing no. Papa Don't Preach, mm. but no, you're doing Fever, come on. You, you, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I mean, it was it was spectacular. You know, that bit was spectacular. Hung up is when shit got real. Like it was brilliant. It seems like a weird positioning in a set for it but it was really really great and then act four which is called ballroom again you get loads of dancers coming in loads and loads of dancers and it goes into vogue mashed up a bit with break my soul by beyonce which is cool, cool. you cool. had diplo coming out as a judge and they basically she did again a bit of vogue and then she got people to actually vogue in front of them and they held up scorecards her diplo and madonna were sat at the end of the catwalk and they were just dancing so but again i was like i get this it's a bit of a breather yeah but she didn't do the full version of vogue and i was like i would have liked that and if you want to but you know i get it time constraints fine but that i mean mate as an act vogue human nature crazy for you oh jesus christ i mean it's outrageous it's it's (laughs) still it's just it's just outrageous and then you get to act five which is called the beast within first song of that you're like this mate die another day which i love she did the she did die another day in its entirety now i really like this yeah that yeah that was just for you i know well we've had we've had the gas bit now we're in the we're in the 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 bit that steve gets bond wrong yeah i mean mate I, i even as someone who thinks that song is great even i was a bit like Ah, you're not doing all of like a prayer but you are doing all of yeah. die another day in its entirety that seems a bit odd where so, is your head at yeah die another day Edge. don't tell me which i thought was excellent it's not a song that I've, i i like love but i thought that was really really excellent yeah. mother and father then now this is the bit where i was like okay she did a cover um, i'll tell you what she did so she did what i think might be the single worst, most cheesy, most eye-rolling speech I've ever seen an artist do on stage in my life ever. Oh, Regar- regarding the current conflict in on the Gaza Strip, Israel and Palestine, she didn't actually go into anything political or take any sides per se. 
she just talked about children and she said i think one of the things she said was we all and it went on for ages and then she said it's so hard to sing when you're crying and i just can't stop crying and everyone went ah and then she said um she said we're all candles and our light can light other candles and children are, are candles and you can light the light in a candle with a candle or something and i was a bit like hey <laughs> well and the people were going that's so true it's so true around me and i just thought like look like i get it right she wants to say something positive and yeah. empowering and show her empathy towards a really really horrible situation going on in the world at the moment it was cheesy and it was mm. cheesy and it and it was meaningless and it was a bit well, it was really kind of like Ugh. I was because my girlfriend said to me she's like I, I was like you know when you we'd seen the 1975 and you went they're faffing around too much they're faffing around too much what's he doing <laughs> just play the songs I was like yeah. now and she went well if, if Madonna eats a bit of red raw meat then I will be like alright fucking hell and I was like <laughs> okay fair enough I was like but I'll tell you what I'd rather she sat down and ate a whole bloody cow than did that yeah. awful yeah. speech that she did fair. and then she followed it up with an acoustic cover of I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor. What? Which she's never covered before. I don't what? understand this. It's it's a really bizarre, really, really bizarre thing to do. Like, I mean, that is a box A for me to begin with. Oh, anyway, fucking hell. Like, this is way beyond fucking box A. It just seems like this kind of 10-minute segment or whatever you're, you're talking about, completely, this would have completely sapped all the fucking energy and insaneness it did a bit up till then how the fuck can you kind of recover from that La Isla Bonita yeah that'll do <laughs> yeah right so, like, but then even Back then the I was room. like I was like here we go here we go yeah. and then we got that, a bit of Don't Cry For Me Argentina and again I was like no oh, I need to do God. that shit you're leaving God's out and you're bringing that sake. in come on <laughs> No to, one needs to hear the Avita songs again. No. Then we got to Act Six, which is just called Madonna. We got Bedtime Story. I thought it was really good. Ray Wonderful. Of, Ray of Light was amazing. Banger. Amazing. She got on this, like, like a, a kind of Paul Paul Stanley, but in a box. Imagine Paul Stanley, but he was in a, he's on a crane instead of just a, and went around the whole arena in this box yeah. above it while it was and it was so great like red light is no. i mean as discussed is like absolute yeah. tune oh, and phenomenal. mate after that to close that act she did rain which oh. we picked as one of the yeah. like, great madonna songs it yeah. was brilliant See? it was brilliant we, we know we know we know we, know. we, know we agree shit. with her and then yeah. <laughs> we ended she agrees with us <laughs> we ended with again she went off this is act 7 she ended Blimey, with bit, how many acts are there? Seven. And right. yeah, yeah, it's the last one. She did <laughs> okay. Bitch on Madonna and Celebration is the last two songs. So two newer songs, right? Okay. Two newer songs. A celebration is a good song. Celebration is a good song. I actually think Bitch on Madonna is nah. is is alright nah. as well. No, you're not that keen you're not that keen nah. on it yourself, are you? And mm. there's a little they she put a little bit of music into celebration as well. I don't mean the, I mean the song music. But it started with, again, the build up was two dancers one dressed as Michael Jackson one dressed as Madonna from the 80s and they went behind okay. this screen and they had this big screen which showed a silhouette of the pair of them and they played 
Billie Jean, ma- like a virgin, and Billie Jean mashed up. Not live, like it was just the recordings mm. of it. And it was mashed up with Express Yourself, Angel, Smooth Criminal, Dangerous, The Way You Make Me Feel. And they danced to it and sort of back and forth and almost sort of like dance battled each other for what right. felt like 20 minutes, right? It was probably oh, wow. only about seven or eight minutes. But it went on for quite a while and Madonna Too wasn't long. actually part of it. And then she came on and did two new songs and that was the end. And... I get it. It's I, I, another no, I get it. I, break I, and, yeah, um, yeah. And I thought that was actually, that was really cool. Like I really, it, it was, you know, it was pretty engaging, but I did sort of feel to myself like, if this was at the, you know, the Michael Jackson thriller musical at the West End or something, you'd go, that's fucking brilliant. Yeah. But if you're going to see Madonna and she doesn't okay. play Like a Virgin and the only thing you get from Like a Virgin is Like a Virgin over the beat from Billie Jean being played on an mp3 while she's not even on stage i feel like look it when it was good it was absolutely fucking incredible the good bits were just all time like holy shit pinch yourself this is this fucking hell there's madonna and she's doing into the groove and like like a prayer in front of you right like unbelievable unbelievable the stage set the show the the lights the the way that everything was set up the way that it was all kind of it was worked as a show was so incredibly impressive but maybe i've just been a bit spoiled this year but when i compare that with the weekend the weekend was leagues ahead of this leagues ahead like I said at the time of the weekend, I feel like, or Kendrick Lamar last year, I saw Kendrick Lamar at the same venue last year and you go, okay, well, this is the current, that, you know, you've got, you've got a legend winding their career down with the greatest hit set and you've got yeah. a current artist who is currently making, who is in their prime, you know, they're absolutely in their prime. I remember, to give you a football analogy of this, right? Nice. I remember going to see, cool, about 20 odd years ago, Pompey had Robert Prozanetsky playing for him, right? And who played for Barcelona and Real Madrid and was one of the great Eastern European players of the 80s and 90s. And in the sort of early 2000s, we managed to sign him. And he was old and he was fat and he was slow and he couldn't really run. And apparently was chain smoking cigarettes in the changing room in between games and stuff. And he had a fat ass and he, you know, he was out of shape and he was at the end of his career and he, he looked like a sort of, you know, a, a man who was about ready to drop dead. But occasionally <laughs> we'd get a corner or we'd get a free kick or we'd just give him the ball on the halfway line and he'd do something magical with it. Something absolutely magical. I remember we played Burnley and they had Paul Gascoigne on loan. And we had Paul, Paul Gascoigne versus Robert Prosnetsky in the middle of the park in, a, <laughs> in an old Division One or Championship as it is now match. And That's you just mad. looked at it and were like, well, these two just had this sort of aura and this class about them. But their powers had waned and they weren't the players that they used to be. But you still had that bit of magic. That's a bit like what Madonna was like, I feel. It was great. Really, really great. And when it was great, it was incredible. But if you said to me go you you can see one of the shows you you can see that madonna show again or you can see the weekend which i saw twice again yeah it is it's not even not even close no. it's going to be the weekend easily easily 
and it would probably be i mean you know when i think like i say kendrick i think even like elton elton and blur even them and depeche mode this year like even they i would say were were, were above the madonna gig but that's not to say it wasn't a good gig because it was great and i know people have been it's funny the, the reviews haven't had people raving about it in the way i thought they would be raving about it they've all been going oh what a brilliant it's been really good and it's a really good celebration of madonna's career but you would think people would be going oh my fucking god it's the best thing ever like you know i was so excited when i got the tickets for it so excited yeah. and i didn't walk out wowed in the same way as i did for elton or you know particularly the weekend i think particularly the weekend but still very good and i feel very lucky to have seen it because i don't know that you'll ever see it again unless you get tickets or you've got tickets for the next run i'm not sure you see it again yeah well <laughs> I, th- I, th- I think she's pretty much a shoo-in for a, a glastonbury headline yeah she? i think so yeah. yeah yeah or i think it's all but been confirmed mm. <laughs> I don't see how she she won't be able to do that show at Glastonbury. No, and to be honest, I no, I, you know, at Glastonbury, the great kind of Glastonbury like headline slots are the ones where they don't fuck around and just do the hits, like that, like the Bowie one from was it ninety nine two thousand? Yeah, when when he just it, all he did was the hits. It was fucking, it was unbelievable. I watched it again um, earlier this year. Mm. It fuck, just fucking outrageous, Still- absolutely. Still ended with I'm Afraid of Americans, though, didn't he? Which was a current single at that time. Pretty current. True. True. What a lad. Anyway, there you go, Madonna. Let's not talk about that. Let's talk about Discharge, mate. Yeah. 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 That's one thing we didn't get from that Madonna set was D-beat Crust Punk. Uh, Yeah. That was all that was missing, mate. It was... uh, It was... uh, Two old mates of mine, they, they've been doing um, like DIY, putting on DIY punk gigs for, I think, f- 10 years, 15 years now. Uh, I bet it was their kind of anniversary. I think it was ten the sort of 10 year anniversary gig. And they put on, you know, like, um, it was going to be five bands, one pulled out because I think, I think COVID. Um, COVID still, I think it's. Um, but yeah, Discharge. I, know, I never thought in a million years I'd get to see Discharge. From getting into them, like you know, like a lot of people did through you know garage ink or whatever, or you know Soul reading fly. about them. Soulfly, I've got all right, hipster. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I never thought I'd, I'd, I never thought I'd see the kind of OGs of fucking DB cross punk, let alone in a bloody hundred and fifty capacity venue that was so oversold and full of sweaty punks, you know, with their t-shirts off in their kind of early to f- mid fifties. Um, it was it was fucking glorious, man. They, they played they played virtually all of. I mean, they, they played a long set, but they played for about an hour and twenty minutes. It's a long fucking set of DB. Was know? that ninety eight songs? Pretty much, yeah. They they did all of hear nothing, see nothing, say nothing. Obviously, and, you know, it was loud, it was sweaty, it was obnoxious. It was fucking glorious fun, and it was it was great. To, like going to there's like a little bar at the back of the gig room. I when I got a pint, I was just kind of standing there. Like watching, because like you know, no way am I going down the fucking front. Cause it was just you know, it was it was men in their fifties slam dancing, and it was yeah. just like nah, bro. Now I called time on that shit about twenty years ago. <laughs> no, thank you. But just got to just listen to music. It was hellishly that was brilliant, 
so much fun. And they're just looking round, and they're just seeing to my left, um, Gizbutt of Jaina Stark and the Prodigy fame, just literally losing his fucking mind. It was just, it was just a glorious sight, really. Just a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Yeah, man. Good band, man. I'm not massively into kind of cross punk and stuff, but they did it so much better than anyone else. Definitely. I've got Discharge. I don't really need any of the others. English Dogs, all right, but you know. Yeah, there's a few of those sort of, you know, D beat bands that came in the interim or the aftermath, I should say, and yeah, and even in the interim that I do, I have a lot of time for. I mean, you know, particularly the sort of Swedish arm of it like I like you know the Disphere and all that kind of shit I do think mm. is really good but yeah in terms of a band who are the best band at doing oh. that in fact I would go as far to say as from that early collection of British punk and hardcore bands that very very early collection of British sort of post the the glory years of punk I guess they're mm. basically the only ones that I give that much of a fuck about I would say yeah, you know the, the GBHs and the Exploited and yeah. the Cox Sparrow and, the, and you know, uh, all those yeah. kind of bands I don't really care the, about but I do like Discharge I think that's always been my problem I, I don't like oi music mm. and a lot of those bands like like the business like Cox Sparrow like GBH it, it, it goes a little bit too far over there for me and I just I just I'm a little bit uncomfortable with all that shit yeah, but for some reason discharges. Oh, it's fine. You know, I, I don't mind. I, 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 I don't give a fuck about the exploited. But I'll happily listen to discharge. Oh, that's because they are. Yeah, they are a, a good band. That's cool, man. That's exactly. cool. That's cool. Yeah, great. And plus, you know, no discharge. You wouldn't have got entombed. Yeah, I wow, think the line really. runs through. Oh yeah, and then so. off you go to all those other bands that exactly. you know we were sort of talking about when we when we did again our beginners guide to team over on our Patreon page. Go and have a little listen to that mm. if you want to know more about that thing. I saw Quicksand playing Slip in Fall. Imagine that. Imagine how good that was. Imagine how good that was. Yeah, tell you how good I, it was. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I know half the people who are in that audience that night. Yeah, you would have known quite a lot of them. They. Yeah were exclusively over the age of 35. Nice. They were all wearing t-shirts from the early, the, 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 the newest t-shirt on display at that gig would have been 15 years old, I reckon. Surely. Yeah. Hats hiding the baldness. Hats hiding, loads of beards. Yeah. Lovely. Or all so Dave Fenson was fat. there then. <laughs> oh, that's a fun. Wow. After, you know, after all the lovely things Dave said about us and you give him a kick in like that. You oh, can't. I wouldn't dare give him a kick. It's all top bands, mate. I'm no, bald. I wear a hat. I've got a beard. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, Dave, me and Dave were down together. We had a lovely time. When you hear an album, often when you hear an album played in full, you kind of lose a little bit of excitement because you know what's coming and you you know like a lot of albums are, are front loaded mm. I I mean Slip's a weird one because I think it is both incredibly brilliantly consistent throughout and also front loaded I mean for me those first four songs are the best songs on the record yeah I'd agree with but that. some of the best songs Welsh Rifles has ever written. Oh, mate, like it's absolutely. I mean, this is a dude who has been in bands both before and after Quicksand that have made some spectacular records. <laughs> but I do really, really think Slip is the best thing that he has ever put his name to. And I think that run of I do, mate, definitely Phase Ahead to Wall, Dine Alone, and the title track is are absolutely incredible. But then when you go to like 
Baphomet and Unfulfilled and Transparent and like, mate, it was just, they're so good. And they don't look like they have, you know, unlike their audience, they don't really look like they've aged. Walter doesn't at all, man. Walter is stick thin still. His voice sounds perfect. He's got lovely, long, lush hair that's thick and full. He's got brilliant cheekbones Sergio <laughs> still goes mad you know you're like yeah. I mean I just think yeah. how badly did Deftones fuck up to lose Sergio what a what big a, time what a mistake to let that guy go he's brilliant I know and so good I mean Alan Cage is a great drummer very very unassuming yep. but a great drummer yep. and also do you know who's playing guitar from did you know who was playing guitar from him no Mr. Stephen Brodsky of Cable. <sighs> So oh, you've for got fucks. You've got on that stage, even take away their work in quicksand, you've got Cavin, Deftones, Rival Schools just up the front. <laughs> even if you didn't know who Quicksand were, that is enough no. to make you be like, Oh, that's good. And then you add Fuck in me. a great, great, great record and you know, they played a yeah. they played a, a, a few songs at the end as well which you know I, I i do like manic compression i think interiors and distant populations are both really really good albums yeah but, they are you know thorn in my side and landmine yeah. spring being particular kind of highlights for that yeah, gig as well like brilliant. really really good but you know for me man slip is the album it's so so mm. so good and seeing it in full was just absolutely no like kind of the opposite of Madonna absolutely not the opposite because Madonna played some unbelievable songs but like a band who go no fat here absolutely no fat they never spoke to the audience Walter just just went cheers at the end of the album and then they went off and that was it like no chat fucking great really really great but then pretty much what I expected it to be very good yeah yeah so you go Discharge Quicksand Madonna all the mates all the mates <laughs> anyway let's move on and do what we're going to do for this podcast let's go back 27 years Gaz maybe a bit more in fact maybe oh, a little bit yeah. more what were all that about yeah. Slash oh, about. Guns N' Roses now this weekend marks 27 years since Slash began his 19 year absence as a member of Guns N' Roses with Axl Rose confirming that he was moving forward with the band without him I remember this being one of the most high-profile departures from not just a rock band, but from any musical artist that I can remember in my lifetime. This came at the time, I think, with the kind of shock and awe that I can only really think, the only thing that trumped it would have been our mate Robbie Williams leaving Take That a few years before. (laughs) And in rock circles, it was proper like, what the hell? What's going on? Oh my God, what's going on? And this is for a band who had essentially been inactive for a a good few years, right? And, you know, that classic lineup of Guns N' Roses... I'd never seen them being a kind of fully functioning happy unit for for my in my I don't know if they ever were ever to, to be perfectly honest. No, but no, um, not. But you know, it all seems like a bit of a dream now. Now we've had what is it eight almost nine years of Guns and Roses being back and being, you know, I guess as as drama free as they've ever been in their entire career 
seems like quite a good time to go back and investigate and remind ourselves of just why the Guns N' Roses reunion seemed so unlikely at the time, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Because we never saw it coming. And these are all the kind of the reasons why that we never saw it coming. So it's pretty mad to think, and I don't know how you feel about this, but it is pretty mad to think that back in 1992, Guns N' Roses and Metallica went out on tour together. <laughs> were filling stadiums across the United States of America. And it was yeah. one of the highest grossing, most infamous and biggest a tour that people still talk about to this very day. Guns N' Roses yeah. at that point were as big as any band could could ever humanly have ever imagined that they could be right oh god yeah no one was bigger they were the i mean there was they were still the one of the biggest bands in the world when slash left you know five six years later they were still getting on the front cover of kerrang like best part ten, 10 years after they'd fucking last released any new products they would could still sell copy just putting their name on the front cover or any of the band members even though there's no news there's nothing to say it was crazy yeah how a band can kind of maintain that absolute top tier popularity and not release a damn thing just lawsuits and controlling and stories and Mm. bullshit rumour yeah and You know, the story of Guns N' Roses has sort of been talked about and poured over for a long time, but it tends to be, you know, that appetite for destruction, the massive climb, the direct aftermath of the Use Your Illusion sets, and then the weight. We are going to be looking at a bunch of stuff, but, you know, mainly that kind of very specific period where Slash leaves. But that lineup that made Appetite for Destruction and made them such a such a massive 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 deal was all and over as a function unit less than a decade after that album had been released so i think before we get into it let's go through them chronologically one by one steven adler the drummer the original drummer of guns and roses sacked on the 11th of july 1990 after addiction let's just say addiction to basically everything but mostly heroin cocaine gripped him to the point where it took a reported 30 takes for him to be able to play Civil War in the studio, a version of Civil War yeah. in the studio with the band. Stephen Adler's a kind of a sad story, I think, you know? Yeah, it is. It really is. He, and I don't mean this in, a, in an insulting way, I'm going to try and make it as uninsulting as possible, but he's got a real sort of tragic energy to it you know wait he keeps saying i'm gonna come back i'll be back i'm gonna dinner i'll be back yeah we all know that he will never ever mm. go get back into guns and roads it's just not going to happen like and particularly at this point in his life you know that, that dream is long 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 dead but yeah it's still it seems to be the only thing that he really has to cling on to which i think is yeah. a real tragedy it really is and it it was always it was Stephen Adler whenever he said he was you know he was on the straight and narrow and stuff it all just seemed like he was one wrong turn away from full relapse um, I mean he, you know he was he, he did he did that much kind of uh, 
abusing of of like narcotics and stuff that you know he had a stroke um and there was um, like when GNR did reform there was talk basically from him go yeah I'm clean I'm match fit I can do this I, th- I think on the initial kind of the first world tour they did after the they reformed I think he played like a couple of songs or a song at a few consecutive gigs but then I think he relapsed again and that was it you know mm. fair fucking play for you know Axel you know going you know come along for the ride and just you know come out and play I don't know whatever it was um, out to get me or Mr. Brownstone I'm, yeah Mr. Brownstone ironically enough but it was it, it was so sad and I, I remember that. do you remember that kind of period of like it must have been the, it would have been the late 90s kind of before you know the darkness and all that that there was some there was some promoter it was probably the guys behind like the decadence like the hair you know the hair metal kind of nightclub that's been going for years in, in London yeah 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 it was it was a gossips for years in Soho and stuff I mean it must have been guys who, who like who, who were kind of involved in that or I don't know fucking Ray Zell or something but there was someone at the fucking Underwood who was booking all his old bands like Love Hate and like fucking well, the Bullet Boys and stuff it seemed like every couple of weeks one of these old 80s hair metal bands was playing the fucking Underworld and one of those bands that always seemed to play was this thing called Adler's Appetite yeah, which I, I just that. found really really sad because it was basically obviously you know it's it's Stephen Adler who the band's named after you know washed up fucking junkie and I think everyone else in the band was like you know ex-junkie members of like fucking Quiet Riot Love Hate you know fucking Sea Hags or any of those kind of C-list kind of hair metal bands that never really made it vain and bands like this and it just seemed it just seemed really really sad I, I, I truly hope he he doesn't kind of die as a result of his his demons because like for me he will always be the best drummer that band ever had he was we've we talked about we've talked about swing drummers in the past steven adler whilst being a punk drummer he came from the punk scene and all that he's a fucking swing drummer man no one plays any of those songs like jungle but you think of the big ones jungle paradise city uh, brownstone rocket queen matt sorum could not play them like Stephen Adler played them. Whoever they've got drumming from them now doesn't sound like the way they used to. He's he, he's he's a fucking incredible drummer. He, he was one of the, the reasons why I wanted to start drumming kind of way back when. Because I mm. thought he was just cool as fuck. He was like my favourite member of GNR when I was younger. Yeah. I mean, apparently the get out was they gave him a contract and said, look, you got to sign this and it means every time you take heroin, you'll be fined $2,000. And he signed it and they went, actually, it says, here's $2,000 off your fuck. And I think he feels pretty hard done by by all of this. And, you know, let's hope, yeah, like you say, like he never succumbs to that. So in comes on drums, Matt Sorum and Dizzy Reed on keyboards as well. Should yeah. mention Dizzy Reed around this time comes in. Izzy Stradlin was the next to leave the band on the 7th of November 1991. This is in yeah. the aftermath of the infamous Riverport Amphitheater gig in July of 1991 where Axel Rose walks off stage. Uh, during a show and then sparks a massive riot he did the same thing again nearly in germany a few months later and that was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back for izzy straddling who had got himself clean had got himself sober and was being asked to spend time with slash duff mckagan matt sorum who were 
at it proper at yeah. it notoriously fiendishly drug addled and he was sort of sick with axel rose's behavior in general i think he said yeah. once i quit drugs i couldn't help looking around asking myself is this all there is i was just tired of it i needed to get out he was replaced on guitar by gilby Carr, clark who we'll talk about in a second he formed the yeah. juju hounds mm. who i had never listened to before until we decided to do this episode and i have oh. to say probably won't be going back to the juju hounds oh that's a shame i bought the album at the time did you um yeah, I really liked it. I remember the first single was sh- uh, Shuffle It All, which is, but it's basically Rolling Stones, <laughs> Exile on Main Street era Stones. Yeah. Um, I, would, I was actually, I was, if, funny you talk about that, but I was, I was listening to it today. Um, I still think it kind of stands up pretty well. But, you know, it's, it's, it, it is a bit like, you know, Poundland Black Crows in places. Mm-hmm. And, um, the Juju, I remember the Juju Hounds touring this country. Um, it would have been yeah, ninety two, and uh, the tour sort of kind of got quite famous because uh, the it, it was the it was, the Wild Hearts were supporting before oh, the I kind did. of yeah, I remember that, uh, and yeah. and they got kicked off the tour. Um, there was there was a little bit of needle going on, and like like Ginger from stage was called call, calling it Izzy Stradlin, Izzy struggling. And all this, you know, because the uh, it was like half empty venues and stuff, and uh, yeah, Wild Hearts got kicked off uh, off the tour. But no, I, I always kind of liked it. Um, it's kind of harmless enough. Nowhere near the best of like the solo albums, mm. but also nowhere near the worst. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So after that happens, we get the spaghetti incident on the twenty third of November, nineteen ninety three, <laughs> thus marking the line in the sand that we have to wait for before we get Chinese democracy (laughs) Uh, we all thought that was coming quite a lot sooner than it actually was but let's talk about Gilby Clark because as soon as he comes in he's kind of out in the Gilby Clark in 1994 he released the album Pawn Shop Guitars which I did listen to I actually quite like that it's decent yeah it's decent I quite like that record I'd never heard it before but again yeah it's very very sleazy and a lot kind of heavier than I kind of thought a a solo Guns N' Roses member album might be it's good Mm. no it is good yeah yeah I remember again a really good review in Kerrang and stuff at the time and but but again it was um, again it was from that period where anyone who had a vague GNR connection they could put Guns N' Roses on the front cover yeah. of the magazine and sell copies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's crazy. So Absolutely crazy. He did that. He also played on the Spaghetti Incident a little bit, I believe. He mm. also plays yeah. on Slash's Snake Pit's debut album, which we will be talking about in, in a little bit as well. He certainly did, yeah. What he didn't play on was the cover of Sympathy for the Devil by the Rolling Stones. <laughs> which came out in uh, December 1994, which was released as part of the Interview with the Vampire soundtrack. Yep. That was Matt Sorum, Axel Rose, Duff McKagan, Slash, and Paul Tobias on guitar. Won't go into yep. Paul Tobias too much because this is obviously just a bit of a preamble, really. Mm. Gilby Clark's contract wasn't renewed after he did an interview with Kerrang, where he stated that Axel Rose was a dictator. One of his final acts as a member of the band was to claim that work on the new Guns N' Roses album had stalled and stopped as no one could agree on what it was going to sound like. Axl Rose told him as his contract was running out on the 
towards the end, I believe, of the Use Your Illusion tour or some of the touring that they were doing. He said, en- enjoy your last gig just before he walked out on stage with them. So that's nice. <laughs> and it's wow. also been said that Axel Rose's decision to fire Gilby Clark was taken all on his own. Totally his decision. Didn't even let anyone else in the band know about it, which is classic Axel Rose, I think. <laughs> classic Axel. Which brings us to uh. Slash, who is essentially the next member of the band to leave. So it's worth noting the claims that were made by Slash and other members of the band that everybody was forced to sign the rights to the name of Guns N' Roses away in 1992 on a Use Your Illusion tour gig or Axel was refusing to go on stage. And they did it because they believed that he wouldn't go on stage. It's quite a shitty thing to do isn't it really and it's led to a lot of problems in the aftermath i think classic axel isn't it classic axel classic axel. Uh, yeah you could you could do a book just called classic axel <laughs> and it would be t- it'd be it'd be th- three thousand pages long and that would just be full of stuff from the usual illusion tour mm, yeah yeah the, Fucking just ridiculous this is prime rock star bullshit era isn't it yeah taken to the fucking millionth level mm. no one did it no one no one's even come close I like to think no one ever will come anywhere near that kind of level of cause you, wouldn't, you just you wouldn't, you wouldn't get you, you wouldn't you wouldn't you would not get that sort of shit now because bands don't get that big but even pop stars I mean I can't imagine well, I can't imagine Taylor Swift trying to pull this shit. Do you know what I mean? Some no, or you know Kanye. Yeah, well, I mean, well, Kanye has tried Kanye. to pull some of that well, stuff, and look yeah. what's happened. So, well, yeah, yeah exactly. I think these days are gone. So, yeah. by 1995, this is a an outfit that are struggling, I guess, with identity. Really, struggling to decide what sort of direction they wanted to take the material for upcoming album Chinese Democracy yeah. to sound like. It seems weird to think of what Guns N' Roses thought they might want to try and sound like in 1995. Like that again, so many years down the line, it does feel like a a funny thing to even consider, right? Well, I think I think the signs were there in 1991 when you listen to the last song on Use Your Illusion 2 that none of the other band members knew was even going to be on there until mm. they heard the album for the first time. Mm. You want to step into my world, you know? Oh, Axel's listened to Nine Inch Nails, isn't he? Oh. Yeah. Uh, I, that's basically, I think, where Axel wanted to go because you know there, there's kind of stories of people bringing in songs, be that Gilby, be that Duff, or especially Slash, as we're about to talk about. Yeah. Slash brought in a ton of fucking songs. I think, with the exception of one, I think, which I think was Beggars and Hangers on. I think, I think he might have liked. I think, was it Dime Store Rock? There was one other on that album that he didn't mind. The rest of it, he just dismissed it as shit. He did. So Slash was like, well, okay, I'm going to build my own home studio and record an album in, I think it was 27 days mm. and fucking release it. Well, even before that, so that cover of Sympathy for the Devil is driving a massive wedge in between it. So a, oh, Matt yeah. Sorum acclaimed... It's a fucking terrible cover. It's awful, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, it's not good. I, bought that, I remember buying that on single at the time. I'd already kind of checked out of like hard rock and stuff. But I was still like, it's, it's GNR. It's a new GNR single. I'm going to buy that. Yeah, it's not good. Oh, 
terrible absolutely terrible no way to close a very good film but matt saw claimed they had seven songs recorded and that Chinese democracy would be out by 1997. Obviously, this is <laughs> a hell of a drug. Not true. So that sympathy for the devil cover is a pretty big indicator as to the wedge being stuck between Slash and Axel Rose, due to Axe hiring Axe Axe, not from Demo- the tag team demolition. Axel hiring his mate to Tobias Paul Tobias on guitar, and then telling him to play over Slash's tracks on that version of the song in 2001 slash said to q i never liked that guy from day one that's one of the biggest most personal things that axe and i have gone through to bring an outside guitar player in without even telling me and if you've read his his uh his autobiography as well he says that was it having another guitar player record over me without telling me was as much disrespect as i was willing to handle i washed my hands that song i washed my hands with guns for the moment and i focused my energy on my own songs and my own project so off goes slash accident like your songs you've written these songs it's treating you with absolutely no respect along comes Slash's snake pit it's five o'clock somewhere which also features gilby clark matt sorum dizzy reed and yep. guns and roses producer mike clink produced that record as well as you said Gaz, you know who, uh who plays bass steve it's mike innes of allison chains as well who sings steve it's your man from jellyfish who Yay! I don't really know that much about. So, yeah. So he, he, he wasn't even the singer in Jellyfish either. He was the guitarist. He Jellyfish. was. Yeah, I read that. That's, that's funny, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I didn't. It's I didn't know the main that. guy. Yeah. So, yeah. That you know, as you quite rightly say, Slash decides that he is going to just make these songs himself, put them out, and he signs to Geffen, and it's five o'clock somewhere was you know i remember this being a pretty big deal when it came out right it's a pretty big deal yes so he was yeah i remember you know yeah lead review and kerrang he was getting he was getting kerrang covers mm-hmm. in like early 95 on the lead up to this this album cover i remember there was a cover i think the, the kind of tagline was like it sounds like dirty sex or something like that <laughs> you know slash speak solo album exclusive i don't know what you know the stuff kerrang was <coughs> excuse me kerrang was doing at the time but it was a big deal. I remember. I remember the beggars and hangers-on video on um, on Noisy Mothers, um, and I toured it. It got you know it got decent reviews in in, in the rock press. Pretty it's, decent um, charting positions as well. You know, fifteen yeah. in the UK, fifteen in Switzerland, yeah. eleven in Sweden, twenty-seven in Norway, nineteen in Germany, nineteen in Holland, top fifty in mm. Belgium, fifteen in Austria, twenty-six in Australia. Sold a hundred thousand copies in Japan. But this is what I mean, though, right? You know, you know, even in 1995, right? Guns N' Roses was still so fucking jai huge that a, the, a, the guitarist... Yes, I know, it's Slash. Fine, chill out, right? Yeah. But the guitarist of a fucking band could basically go out and release their own solo album. And it and it charted that high. And you get main in, support to in, Metallica. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Getting a top 20 album in the summer of fucking country house and roll with it i thank you very much yeah it's pretty i mean you know it's you know classic like we were saying on the skin special patreon.com uh forward slash true cup pop <laughs> right in this country classic rock was still doing the fucking business even into the mid 90s yeah mate i mean i remember seeing this album in all of the record shops like yeah, not man. just like flicking through and finding it it was on the shelves yeah Front it was in the chart yeah. you know and you go to Donnit in 95 yeah. and 
Slash's Snake Pit are right up there. You know, hand-picked yeah, by Metallica. I believe they were... Did they... Was it Metallica Therapy Slash's Snake Pit? Or was it Slash's Snake Pit Therapy? No. Uh, no, I think it was... Um, it was Metallica Therapy Slayer or Skid Row. No, it was Skid Row, then Snake Pit, I think. Yeah, you might. Get up, Steve. You might be right. Let's have a look yeah. at that. Monsters of Rock 95. This what, should be a lot. That fucking... Well, what a lineup! What a, I mean, Warrior Soul opened. Then it was um, Machine Head. I remember yeah. that. I didn't go to this because then it was Zom- White Zombie. I mean, fuck! It's it ridiculous man. fucking lineup. One stage, like eight bands or something. It's ridiculous. It was. Let, I can get it up for you right. It was meant to be Alice in Chains. It, made, it was meant to be Alice in Chains' main support, but they were in no fucking position to do anything. Ninety-five. Hence why therapy got asked. Yeah, Corrosion Conformity, Warrior Soul, Machine Head, White Zombie, Slasher Snake Pit, Slayer. Skid Row Therapy. Look how high therapy are. Metallica. It's a good day, that. That is a good yeah. day. That is a good <laughs> day. Outrageous. I don't know why they didn't have a second stage. It's a shame. Uh, they did the previous year and the following year. Yeah. But... I think that I think Donaldson that year, well, it wasn't even called Monsters Rock. It was called Escape from the Studio. Because mm. um, there wasn't even going to be... Like, like now, you can already buy your early bird tickets for download next summer. Like... That summer of '95, obviously, that was—I remember because it was on the same weekend as Reading, like August Bank Holiday. It was only announced; you could only buy. It was only like announced in like, in like the June or something. It was literally like two months before it. They, yeah. they announced it. It was so fucking last minute. Yeah, but big, you know, that is a big thing. Slash the Snake Pit, a big thing. Uh, Matt Sorum, as I said, has claimed that the album could have been a Guns N' Roses album. Axl Rose didn't want it to be a Guns N' Roses album. He didn't think it was good enough. And, you know, I think it's understandable when you look at kind of what happens next, that Axl Rose kind of clicks his fingers. And the thing is, Guns N' Roses are that massive. They are that massive for Geffen, their record label. If Axl Rose says, yeah, we're going to do Guns N' Roses now, Geffen are going to be like, right, get them. Let's go, 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 go. So I think what happened with Slash's Snake Pit is that a lot of the tour support and a lot of support for the record was pulled when the idea of Guns N' Roses getting back together was mooted. Yeah. And snaps his, snaps his fingers, didn't he? Yeah. I think Geffen had already made their money back on the, the Snake Pit album. And literally, I think just like that, tour support was pulled. Mm. Everything was pulled. No, get back in the studio. Axel is good to go. He's also not the only one who had the rug pulled from underneath him in 1995-1996 just because Axel Rose wanted to work again although actually we can blame Axel Rose and John Lydon for Matt Sorum and Duff McKagan having their stuff pulled away from them because <laughs> Matt Sorum and Duff McKagan began jamming a punk covers band with various <laughs> other musicians at the Viper Room in LA John asked Taylor. by John Taylor from Duran Duran and Steve Jones of the Sex Pistols. They were asked, or Sorum was asked, if he could put a band together by Johnny Depp for a benefit show. There's a benefit show and thus Neurotic Outsiders were born. Now, it's mad to me that Neurotic Outsiders ended up signing to Madonna's, there she is again, label Maverick Records, releasing <laughs> one album, their self-titled album yeah. in 1996. And just as they were getting their shit together to go and kind of tour it and do stuff together, the rug got pulled out from under them because of the Sex Pistols Filthy Lucre uh, World Tour, their Reformation Tour, which Steve Jones had to go on. Steve Jones was not allowed to be in any photo shoots for Neurotic Outsiders. Did you know that? 
There is no photo shoot of Neurotic Outsiders. There is a photo. I've got my Kerrang here, Gaz. I've got my Kerrang, which you're going to look at, from uh, September the 14th, 1996. Enter Sidemen. There they are. (laughs) There's a picture of Neurotic Outsiders. Three of them. Uh, And then a picture of Steve Jones. Well, yeah, I was going to say, where's, where, where's, where's Jonesy? He yeah. is in a box <laughs> picture below them. But yeah, so this is Brilliant. the first interview with Neurotic Outsiders in September 96, just as their album was coming out. And mm. within a couple of months, they were like, oh, we can't, oh. Really, can't really do anything, oh. unfortunately. Oh. I think maybe John oh. Lydon did more to break them up than Axl Rose did, to be honest. Mm. Duff McKagan says in, in this interview... Um, I'd actually started to forget what being in a band was all about. Oh man, that is the mindset of a man that's, who was in Guns N' Roses. That's, that's heartbreaking. I know. Yeah, because we all know Duff's one of the good guys. Oh, he, he's a uh, I, he's amazing, Duff McKagan. He's a yeah, like such a brilliant, lovely man. He's great. He's so great. So, have you heard that neurotic? Do you remember much about the neurotic outsiders? I remember the hype. Yeah. Um, I remember it being, you know, kind of pushed as this kind of super group. Uh, I, 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 I have vague recollections of, like, ang- you know, Mr. Angry uh, from Denimshire writing into Kerrang saying, Why is John Taylor in Kerrang? Why are you covering the prodigy? Ah! Cover Saxon. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Where's except? Where's Where's Udo Dirk Schneider? <laughs> it, it's not a great album. I've got no, to be honest. It's not. It, it's not great, but it's better than Hollywood Vampires. Yes. But, there's you know. There's a song in it called Jerk, which I quite like. Uh, there's yeah. a cover of Janie Jones by The Clash, which is not yeah. good. Other than Matt Sorum's, does a really good bit of it, and yeah. they they do do a version of Planet Earth with john taylor on lead vocals and it's mm. really quite bad he yeah. does almost like a sort of spoken yeah. word version of planet earth by duran duran don't ruin your own well, song mate that is not what you want to do no, you shouldn't be cool. ruining your own song but anyway i bring up that mm. and i bring up this copy of kerrang because weirdly next to it you've got this interview with norick outsiders you also have an interview with slash now like i say there's there's or, or as, as I'm going to get to, there is scant little actual information on the internet these days regarding what actually happened and some of the reasons why. It's a lot of like, oh, you know, they just weren't getting on and it was obvious it wasn't going to work out and da 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 Slash is going to get a boot quite soon. But there's this interview in Kerrang! magazine, which I feel may have played something of a part in it. And it's <laughs> such a, a brilliant feature because it's Jason Arnop of Kerrang! magazine legend <coughs> yeah if you're of our age then you will remember all kinds of Jason Arnop features from back in the day right he spots Slash sitting by the pool of a LA hotel that he's staying in whilst he was out there doing a studio report with Machine Ed in preparation for the release of the more things change right wow and he's just there which now doing what I do knowing that I get anyone on Zoom for 10 minutes 
you used to fly people out just like to go and visit Machina in the studio and you get to stay in the same yeah. hotel that Slash is staying in. Come this on. is what the re- this is the reason why we wanted to become journalists, yeah, right? right? I know, right. Yeah. It was from reading it was gr- from growing up and reading these articles of yeah, Jason Arnold going out to Cali or Mick Wall going to fucking Brazil. Yeah. Or whatever. It was just like I want to do that. That <laughs> So Jason Arnold cheekily goes Does Slash want to talk about what's going on with Guns N' Roses? And he thinks he's gonna. He, he's asking just because he's a journalist. He sees an A. He thinks he's. Yeah. You got. You got to ask. But knows that he's gonna say no. But Slash says yes. And what follows is two features over the course of two weeks of Jason Arnott getting quite a lot of dirt from Slash, and you get quite a lot of cool stuff in this. So I'm gonna read a few bits and bobs out to you guys and see how you feel about this. Right. Lovely stuff. Do it. So he says, we're sitting at the Sunset Marquee Poolside Cafe. Much later, Slash will go home and pack for a 6am flight to Hungary where he'll play a gig, which he'll get around to explaining during the next hour. The reason I'm talking to you now is that guns are working towards working. We're looking for a rehearsal studio that's compatible. But who fucking cares anyway? People just want the record. Jason Hart then goes on to explain where Guns N' Roses are and saying, oh, we've not had an album since 1993. The spaghetti incident was given a lukewarm 3k review according to this feature mm. he says since then it's been nothing but sackings the hapless gilby clark side projects slash snake pit based at duff mckagan and joe matt as neurotic outsiders and rumored splits guns and roses had to all intents and purposes ceased to exist as a proper fully functioning band so three years one guitarist no new records and absolutely no gigs at all later what the fuck is going on over to slash You've heard so many rumours, he said. Six months ago, there was a rumour that we were all in the studio and we were all sober. That was fucking bullshit. Only Axel has been in the studio. So, I remember hearing that. Like, oh, it's happening. It's happening. You know, Matt saw him. It's happening, guys. Don't worry. They're in the studio. It's happening. (laughs) You know, I I don't think so. It's just Axel tinkering around with a bad drum machine. (laughs) Yeah. He says, well, I'm I'm communicative. I'll talk to anybody. Going out with Snake's Pit, re-establishing my mind why I started a band in the first place. My love of touring, my love of people who come and how I appreciate the fact that they even care. When Guns got really big, it got to the point where we felt so disassociated from everybody. The only reason that we were that big was that these people were coming to the shows. He then goes on to describe the world tour of Use Your Illusion as grim. He became disillusioned and again... It recalled more of Axel Rose's habit of delaying shows for several hours than the band's performances. That's what it's sort of remembered for. Was Slash embarrassed by the singer's behaviour? Now, this is where I think Axel might have got pissed off, right? He says, I wasn't real fond of it, put it that way. We should just go out and play. I know it takes a lot of work to be uninhibited enough to go out and perform for audience that size. But after three and a half hour delay, it's really expensive. And by the time Axel comes out, the rest of the band's pissed drunk because we've been waiting around. This time I'm confident we can just go out and do it. The relationship between Slash and Axel Rose is crucial to Guns N' Roses' survival. In the past two years, the singer has allegedly tried to sue the guitarist and fire him from the band. How do things currently stand between them? Axel and I are on civil terms. At this point, we're partially sober. The last three months, Duff and Matt have started rehearsing every night and I'm coming in when I get back from Hungary. We have tons of material and we have a lot to work out for. 
I just want us to make a simple kick-ass hard rock record. Axel's playing guitar now, so I have to deal with that. There's also another guitarist who I don't want to work with. And then Jason Arnott goes into saying, this will be Paul Huge, a.k.a. Uh, Paul um, Tobias. Gilby Clark's replacement, who's recruited by Rose. This whole thing started because of him, but there's someone who I do want to work with. Jason Arnott asks who. He says, I don't want to say at this point. I reckon that might have been Zach Wild. Yeah, do you reckon? Yeah, it was because that was yeah, rumored as you know, like there's a it was a chat around that time of Zach Wild. I reckon it might have been Zach Wild that he's referring to there. Yeah, we don't get any conf- yeah. don't get any kind of clarification there, but I feel that might have been Zach Wild. It must have been. I think so because this would have been the period he he'd left Ozzy's band at this point because uh, Zach Wild did play on Osmosis or tour it. He was doing what was he Pride and Glory at the time? I think. Yeah, he would have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 They talk about this, they call him Paul Huge, so Paul Tobias here. And he said, um, Axel's been wanting to make this record this whole time, but when we finally got together and I'd written some material, he didn't want to do that type of music because the scene had changed. I'm not going to keep up with trends, so we had a huge conflict of interest. That's when Paul Huge came in. After two weeks, I said I wouldn't work with him. Axel got really pissed off about it, and I took off in March 94 to do my own thing with Snake Pit. Now I've come back, and Paul's still there. Now I'm dealing with this. And then Jason Arnott says, are you prepared to compromise? No, I'm not. I'm going to confront it. Either Paul goes, or he, well... This is personal. I don't want to get into this, but during this whole period, Axel's been geared up to get and do it. And then he's like, why don't Jason Arnott, I think fairly naively goes, have you thought about maybe suggesting that he does a solo project? And Slash says, well, that's what I told him to do, get this off his chest. Well, you're starting to pull stuff out of me now. In Axel's mind, Guns N' Roses is his solo project. He didn't see any reason, as far as I know, why he should do a solo thing. So that is an interesting little conversation with Slash that you get a month, six weeks before he is ousted from Guns N' Roses. Paul Tobias, Paul Huge, is definitely not on Slash's Christmas card list. I think we can, (laughs) I think we can definitely say that, right? Well, yeah, well, neither is Jason Arnott, because uh, as we now realise, Jason Arnott is the reason that Slash got kicked out of Guns N' Roses, because he tried to get a, a little cheeky interview on the sly. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, hadn't even, I hadn't even thought of that before. So, yeah, it's it's absolutely, it's absolutely wild that you could just, again, walk up to, like, the most famous guitarist in rock music at that point who's just sitting by a swimming pool and he'll go, I fucking hate this bloke in my band. It was, you know, it was always going to be, I think, a little bit of a, a little bit of a problem. Just that, that whole thing of like, just being able to walk up to, like you said, you know, one of the most recognisable kind of musicians on the planet who's a guitarist in the biggest bands on the planet just sitting there at the side of a pool no security no speak to my manager who's going to speak to the publicist and dad will get back to you in a month do you want to chat yeah now we're going to chat now dictaphone on let's do it mm. that's to me that to me that sort of thing seems like it was like a hundred years ago I know it's absolutely mad isn't it? it's absolutely it's mad ridiculous it's ridiculous so on the 29th of October 1996 Axel Rose released a press release that says live from Burning Hills, California due to overwhelming enthusiasm and that dive in and find the monkey attitude 
Number one, there will not be a Guns N' Roses tour. Number two, there will not be an official Guns N' Roses website. Number three, there will not be any new Guns N' Roses videos. Number yeah, because the internet will never take off, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. Good, it's call, a fad. good call, Axel. <laughs> Number four, there will not be any new Guns N' Roses involved merchandise. Number five, there will not be a Guns N' Roses fan club. Poor Mick Wall. <laughs> He's got nowhere to go. He won't be able to join those Guns N' Roses fan club. Uh, number six, there will be a new Guns N' Roses 12-song minimum recording with three original B-sides. Note, if it if all goes well, this will be immediately repeated. However, number seven, however, Slash will not be involved in any new Guns N' Roses endeavours. As far as as has not been musically involved with Guns N' Roses since April 1994. I'm reading that as it says, it's what it says. With his exception of a brief fill period with Zach Wilde and a two-week initial period with Guns N' Roses in late fall of 1995, he, Slash, has been officially and legally outside of the Guns N' Roses partnership since the 31st of December 1995. Nothing here is subject to change without a permanent suspension of the pseudo-studio musician work ethic. There's a lot of waffle and a lot of faff in that pretty classic, ridiculous... classic 90s press release. In it. It really is. In it, absolutely. But what that means, basically, is Axl Rose is annoyed, Slash is no longer in Guns N' Roses. A few days later, Slash sent a fax, showing your age there, to MTV saying... What's that? A fax? <laughs> what? Yeah, he sent a, he sent a, right. sent a fax to MTV's pager saying... <laughs> Axel and I have not been capable of seeing eye to eye on Guns N' Roses for some time. We have tried to collaborate, but at this point, I'm no longer in the band. Nine Inch Nails' Robin Fink was announced as a full-time member of the band and Slash's yeah. replacement in 1997. He was initially suggested to Axel Rose by Matt Sorum, who thought he would make great foil for Slash when Slash inevitably came back into the band. Rose hired him as Slash's replacement, and it led to... Yeah all kinds of shit in the aftermath mm-hmm. and really that's kind of I was going to say the beginning of the end but really the end of the end of the classic lineup of Guns N' Roses because you never see it again and Matt Sorum was out pretty soon afterwards he yeah. said that Paul Tobias was the Yoko Ono of Guns N' Roses <laughs> Uh, he told Q in 2001 then Paul Hughes walked into the studio and made a bad comment about Slash I said you don't say that when I'm in the room then Axel laid in I argued with him and it was over Hughes followed me out into the parking lot and said come back I said I can't come back he's fired me do you feel good about breaking up one of the greatest bands that ever lived and in steps Josh Freeze then of the Vandals now as a Foo Fighter any thoughts on Matt Sorum I quite like Matt Sorum I think he seems like a good bloke I think so. Um, he, uh, I only ever saw him live once. Uh, that's when he, um, when the cult reformed. Oh yeah. 2001. Uh, did that amazing comeback album, uh, Beyond Good <laughs> and Evil. Um, he, he seems like one of the good guys, man. Solid drummer. Wasn't, was never the right drummer for GNR, but everything else I've heard him drum on, especially the cult stuff. I mean, he drummed on, um, what's the album? Ah, uh, Sonic Temple, the one that's yeah. um, fire, mm. fire woman. Yeah, like, yeah. he's a decent drummer and seems like a good guy and uh, lived to tell the tale. 
He did. He did live to tell the tale. Duff McKagan was the final piece of the falling apart jigsaw. He said in his autobiography that Guns had been been paying the rent on a studio for three years from 1994 to 1997 and still did not have a single song. The whole operation was so erratic that it didn't seem to fit with my hopes for parenthood and stability. He seems like he was the only person who Axl Rose even tolerated for years and years and years. In 2001, when it looked like we might finally be getting Chinese democracy, (laughs) Slash said, I feel sorry for him sometimes, if only because he's such a tough act to be. He's in such a funny place because Axe is Axel and no one will really understand him as much as he would probably like to be understood. He really is on his own in that respect. You know, I once asked him why he didn't do a solo album to get off his chest. Well, he didn't see any reason why he should because in Axel Rose's mind... Guns N' Roses is his solo project as of, you know, reiterating that point, basically. We should also mention Dizzy Reed very, very, very quickly, who is <laughs> the man that managed to stick around for this entire time. The longest yeah, serving member after Axel Rose <laughs> of Guns N' Roses. 33 consecutive years in that band. What it's unbelievable. Ab- what an absolute lad. And yet no one really knows who he is. It doesn't matter. Perfect. Doesn't matter. He was obviously on. He was on a retainer. He would have been. He would have had a monthly wage. He's got no issues. Yeah, I'll sign the contract. I'll be a hired hand. I don't give a fuck. He's him. been. He yeah. literally been on a steady monthly wage for the last thirty-three years. And fair fucks to him, man. Mm. What a dude. What a dude. What an absolute fucking dude. Yeah. Of course, mm. looking at this today, going back to all these interviews and listening to all this music and finding all these bits and bobs and these press releases from the time, it all feels a bit quaint it feels a bit funny when you consider how stable and how well received and how good the guns and roses shows have been since they came back in 2015 and now Mm. you know they've been pretty much consistent as a band since that happened and you go back to this and you go oh yes and now i do remember why the shock of them reforming in 2015 and how we we all believed it was never ever ever going to happen and it was such a massive like oh my good god it's actually happening it's actually happening at this point you kind of it 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 does seem weird to think I, i was doing this and i was like oh yeah oh yeah guns and roses were combustible nightmare for like years and years and years and of course they were but you've just got used to him like turning up at glastonbury doing the thing turning up at download doing the thing turning up at british summertime on their own stadium shows being on time playing the hits giving people what they want do you know what i mean it it's weird it it, it, it's got to the point it feels weird that it doesn't feel weird that guns and roses are just here now do you know what i mean yeah and that this is a like weird like <laughs> how did that happen nostalgia thing it's not is that is that just me no 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 I completely agree I mean out of all those when we started going through that kind of reunion thing that was you know whoever it was started by be it you know the Pixies or the whoever Pixies. right yeah. fucking you Frank Black uh, actually no no he's alright um I never thought, you know, of all the bands that reformed, like, they, they all did, you know, from fucking The Police to Symposium. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? Right? Right? <laughs> yep, or, or as they now known? They're the main ones. Sting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You fill, in the, fill, in the, fill in the gaps. Sorry. 
Or is there now known? Uh, Hellos for Heroes. Uh, yeah. Hellos for Heroes. Oh, it's a bit harsh, mate. Okay. But valid. Um, I, I never thought in a million years that would fucking happen. It's especially like when it seemed that, you know, from whenever it was, 2009, 2010, when, when Slash released that first, you know, quote unquote solo album with all like Ian Asprey on it and Miles Kennedy and Fergie. And he seems to be kind of happy with his lot in life. Mm. You know, he had Miles Kennedy singing for him as, you know, as much as I, I, people know that the old bridge, nah, I'll take it or leave it, really don't, really don't give a fuck. Hell of a set of fucking pipes. And that, that kind of catalogue of stuff that they were doing when slashing the, was it slashing the conspirators or whatever it was called, touring the world. Mm. Doing, you know, doing Velvet Revolver stuff, doing Slash of Snake Pit, doing, you know, fucking Alter Bridge stuff, doing GNR stuff and Slash Solo stuff. You know, it was, it, it seemed like, you know, he was kind of happy with his lot in life. Why would he want to go back into that? But something, maybe we'll only find this out when Axel kind of dies, right? But there must, I, I, there must have been a My Name Is Earl moment. There must have been in his life, right? Because he was a cunt for so long. Literally, his old fucking, I know he, I know he has some god-awful shit happen to him when he's a kid. You know, no reason to be a cunt, but, right? There, there was some fucking light bulb moment in whenever it was 20, 12, 2013 where he fucking made this list to right all these fucking wrongs you know we all when he got announced to be the ACDC singer mm. what was what was everyone's reaction really mm. he, and he's going to turn up on time is he yeah mm. you know and Angus Young's going to put up with that shit is he you know and, all, and, and he was on time kicked ass every fucking night played for best part of three hours pulling out all the fucking deep cuts all this shit it just seemed, and there just, there just seemed to be so much kind of goodwill with GNR going forward even with like you know re- releasing the, the kind of well the three new slash old songs they've released you know they're rubbish but there's one of them I quite it, like. It, I can't remember what it's called now, but I was like, I quite like uh, that. The most recent one was all right. Was it Perhaps? That was all right. Mm, I don't know if I've heard that, but yeah. Uh, Absurd was bad. That's Hard the one school, I like. Bad. I like that. What? What? Absurd? Yeah. Down, 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 yeah. down. down. It's weird. Right, I liked how weird it's and weird. unlike Guns N' Roses it sounded. So, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I've no interest in a new fucking album. And there probably isn't going to be one. They're just going to drip feed one yeah. new song every fucking three years or something. That's, That's fine. fine. But there just seems to be so much kind of goodwill with them now yeah. that it got to the point where they could headline Glastonbury and no one battered an eyelid. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, guys, Rosie Glastonbury. Yeah, why not? Why not? <coughs> seems not a natural fit. Why not? Mm. Happy days. I mean, you know, yeah, you'd rather have it like that than the other way where you're just like, what's going on? Oh, they're late. I mean, but, but yeah, you know, it was an amazing combustible time and it's certainly, you know, say what you like about it it was fucking interesting it was definitely interesting and i hope it's been interesting to listen to as well so there you go that's our thoughts and our memories and our recollections on slash leaving guns and roses back in the 90s it was a just a very very big deal at the time we'll try and do one of these again maybe like jerry halliwell's the story of jerry halliwell's dress at the brits that's what i'd quite like to do let's go that dress Pervy. It's not pervy. It's an iconic costume, actually. But anyway. Fair. Oh, oh, actually. actually. All right, Mr. Highbrow. What are we about? Yeah, what are we about? Anyway, we'll see you next week. We're going to be doing lots of reviews next week. 
Mm. Lots of reviews, and there's some very good oh stuff in the pipeline. So yeah, there is. enjoy that. Go over to patreon.com forward slash true cop pop. You can find all of our exclusive content over there, and we would love to see you. So thank you very much, and peace out. See you next week. Bye bye, Gaz. Love you. Bye. <laughs>